sometimes I just scroll through and be like, I don't know. I'm not sure where I want to go at this point. Mm-hmm. It's like Netflix. You can't find what you want. You just end up scrolling for, forever. And <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 306. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, between our annual gifting episode, that was 304 if you missed it, our 2021 gift guides for readers and for bookish kids, and our recent blog posts, we love helping you find the perfect book-related gifts for your loved ones. And we've got one more suggestion for you that we think is pretty great. Membership in the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club is a perfect gift for readers who want to deepen their reading experience and connect with other readers. Each month, we come together to read a selected book, and then we talk about it with the author. We also suggest one or two optional paired books, our flight picks, to enhance your reading experience. And you know how much we believe in book flights around here. But that's not all. With your membership, you also unlock those live author chats classes to help you examine and enhance your reading life, and a robust online discussion community. We think a book club like a buffet. Take as much or little as you please and enjoy all our events on your own schedule because videos of those events are always available to watch for those who don't join us live. If you're interested in the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club as a gift for someone in your life or for yourself, we offer monthly, quarterly, or annual memberships. We also think it's a perfect pairing if you're gifting ebooks or audiobooks this season and want to make that gift a little extra special. Learn more at modernmrsdarcy.com slash club. That's modernmrsdarcy.com slash club. One of the things today's guest enjoys most about reading is the way the words on the page invite her to step into someone else's story, whether it's fictional or based on real life events. A confirmed introvert, which we talk about, Corinne Miller is also a lifelong bibliophile who savors the universal experience of being a reader. Like so many of us, Corinne has struggled with the unique challenges of the past few years, but as a healthcare professional, her experience has been especially acute. When she felt drained of energy and perpetually distracted, Corinne turned to an unexpected place to find small bites of inspiration and good feelings that lasted even after she closed her book. Today, Corinne and I chat about her love of visceral reads that sometimes feel dark and gritty, but end on a redemptive note, our shared appreciation for an artful structure on the page, and why she's always felt inspired by stories of found families. Listen in as I suggest some books and poetry collections I hope feel just right for Corinne, and give her a little more of that keep-going energy she's looking for in her reading life right now. Let's get to it. Corinne, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk books today. Finally. I had to tell you, my partner and Brenna both had to convince me that I could do this. So, Why did you think you couldn't? Oh, I'm very introverted and also don't love talking. But they, they both said, well, I love talking about books and some of my best friends. They said, I love talking about books, so I should be okay if I can talk about books. As a fellow introvert, I find the research really interesting that says, of course, introverts can talk. They just need to talk about something they're passionate about. That's true. That's true. And I guess I am passionate about books. I think I read more than anybody I know in my real life. Tell me more about that. 
I've always been a reader. I grew up in Montana, so a small rural town, and I could ride my bike to the library. I don't remember when I got my library card, so I think it must have been pretty early. I don't have like a, I have a memory of signing it, like practicing my signature so I could sign the back of my library card, but I don't remember like how old I was when I first went to the library or picked out a book. But I know that I checked out as many books as I could, if not more. I think they maybe like let the limit slide for me. I would just basically take as many as I could carry or fit in my backpack, you know, like all the way down from my waist would put my chin over the top of them. (laughs) (laughs) So like growing up in rural Montana, small library was a great library, but you know, all the typical child of the 80s books, you know, Babysitter's Club, Nancy Drew, Bobsy Twins, Hardy Boys. At what point did you realize that reading occupied a different kind of space in your life than it did in that of the people around you? maybe seven or eight. I have a younger brother. He's two years younger than me. And I remember being so excited for when he could learn to read so we could read together, like talk about books or read books all the time. He was probably, he's my best friend or probably was my best friend growing up and realizing he didn't like to read as much as I did or like he could read and that was great, but he would much rather be doing other things. He is also very extroverted and very social and loves to be around friends, which was not always my MO. So uh, I think that was probably the first time. So I was probably like seven or eight when I when I figured that out. My mom was a family physician, so she often was reading journals or you know evidence evidence practice to work, you know for work. And now that she's retired, she definitely reads a lot more fiction and other things for fun. And then my dad was always a reader, and I read a lot of things I think that weren't typical of a kid. And I love that they didn't limit anything that I could read. Like they never said no, you can't read this or that's not okay. And so I read a lot of things like very young, like grade school, ton of Tom Clancy you know, like the Cardinal and the Kremlin or the Hunt for Red October, Mm -hmm. John Grisham, all of those when they came out. And then also my dad, I think my dad read uh, Lonesome Dove. So I think I read Lonesome Dove when I was 10 and then we watched the miniseries together. And then we would go on road trips a lot. You know, Montana is a big state. There's a lot of land and then, you know, visit family in the Midwest. And I remember driving through like North Dakota, South Dakota and stop at drugstores or truck stops. And I would pick up just those trade paperbacks. And I was obsessed one summer with Louis L'Amour. So I've read a ton of (laughs) questions at probably like 11 or 12. I mean, tons and tons of them. So I guess I'm thankful that my parents didn't, didn't limit what we read. And also I have one very vivid memory of my dad. I was probably, I think I was 11 or 12 because Anne Frank, when she wrote her memoir, was it, was she 12 with her journals that I was close to her age. And my dad read that aloud to my brother and I when we were kids. So I have a very vivid memory of sitting in our kitchen. I had this big overstuffed chair in our kitchen. My dad reading us. The Diary of Anne Frank. I always feel like reading has been a part of our life. No, that sounds delightful. It was lovely. Our kitchen was lovely. It was like big, big open windows in the woods with an, kind of an island and then a big overstuffed chair. Our kitchens always had a big overstuffed chair in it next to the dining table. So we would all, that's like where everybody hung out. We never hung out in the living room. We always hung out in the kitchen. And how does reading fit into your life these days? It's my main pastime. It's like everything. I read every day, multiple hours a day that I fit in little chunks all the time. It's therapy and a companion and my favorite leisure activity and or learning activity. It's a huge part of my life. So Corinne, you're a self-described introvert, but I'm very interested in the ways that reading has connected you with other readers, because I know that is part of your story, especially these past few years. In most things, I have to choose to go be social, like consciously choose to go be social and know that it will be good for me. (laughs) 
that I need to go do that. One of the things about books in general is that I feel like that opens my eyes. So even though I'm not very, I'm not as social, I feel like it helps me be a more empathetic person and be able to see or be a part of other people's stories, whether that's true stories or fictional stories, and helps me understand while there's a huge range of humanity and experiences, a lot of those emotions are so universal. That Mm -hmm. is something that I appreciate about reading, having that connection with other people. So Corinne, you like to connect with other people over books. And I know from your submission that you're part of a unique book club or unbook club. What is an unbook club? I said that was one of my favorite thing book clubs I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of several over the years. And I think one of the things I have a hard time with is I'm a mood reader. So I don't always love to be told what to read. And so sometimes if I'm part of a book club, I read so much that oftentimes the books they pick, I have already read or read at another point. And so I just will re-skim it and then can go talk about it. Uh, one of the fun things when I lived in Colorado for a while, which is where I went to nursing school, one of the things that I loved about that book club was it was a very diverse group of people. We had all worked at a job like doing trail work and construction and restoration things, but we worked, uh, did youth core teams. So we had teams of kids that were with us, 15 to 17 year olds, which was one of my favorite jobs I've ever done. In the summers, we would have the unbook club book club. And the only uh, rule was you just had to bring a book or two to swap and then just come talk about the books that you were reading and whether that was a book or a magazine or anything like that. So it just, there was no pressure that anyone felt like they had to read a certain book or like go to the book club and be like, well, I didn't read that book or you talk about it for like 30 seconds. And I felt like it was the one of the only book clubs I have ever been a part of where we actually talked about books and it was so fun. And the book was, the group was pretty big. I think 25 people. And I'm not sure that that many people always came, but it was big enough that you could always find somebody that had read something you had read and or wanted to talk about a book that you brought with you or swap books with people. And so it just was so fun. It was one of the only book clubs I've ever been a part of where we actually talked about books like the whole time. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like so much fun. What's a great recommendation you got from your Unbook Club book club? One of my very favorites, all-time favorites, Anil's Ghost. Oh, I've not read this. It's by, I never say his name right, Michael Adanche that wrote The English Patient. Yeah, he's one of my very favorite authors. I think I've read almost everything of his. It's about a, a forensic anthropologist. So it's a little dark. That's what Anil's Ghost is about? I didn't know that. Uh-huh. It's so good. I should reread it. It's been a long time. Corinne, I'm really excited to hear more about your reading life because I've gotten just a little glimpse in your submission that you filled in at what should I read next podcast.com slash guest. And I'm really looking forward to unpacking it. And I think we want to get there by talking about your favorite books. Sounds good. Are you ready? I'm ready. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you loved, one book you didn't, and what you've been reading lately. And then we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. How did you choose these favorites? Well, so, you know, we discovered this morning, I had filled out this form a few times and every time I do a different version. (laughs) Yes, because you told me you're an Enneagram type one and you like to fill out forms. So I filled out a few times, whether my three favorite books of all time or my three favorite books that have the lowest rating on Goodreads or... Uh, Hold on, hold on. I want you to tell me more about that. Because when you say that you like the idea of choosing favorites that have the lowest ratings on Goodreads, I think about how much I love to find those books that aren't right for you as a reader, unless they are really right for you as a reader. You know, it's got that like super personalized hidden gem feeling. And it's also make me think of the year Will and I went through our family members' wish lists and we chose the books that had been on their to-be-read lists the longest and gave them those. So tell me more about, about that philosophy. 
I think it was just a, a whim. You, you always say when you're filling out the form, you know, different things. And I did my three favorites and then I didn't hear back, which is fine because I wasn't convinced I could do this anyway. So <laughs> we knew you could do this. There you go. Thank you. Readers, you can do this. You can talk about books that you love, really. Thank you for the encouragement. So it was more like a lesson or a, just a brain exercise to say, what's different ways that I could fill this out that would be interesting and fun, even if it just amuses me and no one ever sees it. For the three favorites we're discussing today, how did you choose these? This time I went with um, poetry, which I mean, I've always loved poetry. I would not say that I am well read in poetry. I didn't like poetry that I had to read as a kid or in school because I felt like it was all old white dudes and not that interesting to me. Sometimes I appreciated the poetry that was more about the outdoors or the natural world. I could identify more with that. And I always loved Emily Dickinson poetry, but I didn't read poetry collections per se until this last year and a half or two years. I work in healthcare and being part of the pandemic and working in a hospital has been really awful and hard to manage in a lot of ways. And so I feel like poetry helped me cope. It was also, they're short pieces usually, so it's easier to digest when my attention span is not the greatest, when there's so many other things going on in my brain. And I also, it helped me when we were talking about earlier, just about reading. It helped me remember that as people, we're all connected or remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing when I'm upset about something or frustrated Uh, I feel like in that way, the poetry has saved me, helped me stay sane and helped me stave off burnout or not that I haven't had some burnout in the last um, year or and a half, but that it has just helped me keep going. Did you say that you were coming off a night shift as we're talking right now? I am coming off a night shift. I've been in healthcare for about 15 years. You are a healthcare worker in the midst of a pandemic that has now been going on for some time. But back in the early days, when you were looking around for something that would help you keep going... What made you think, and I'm going to pick up that poetry collection, like that is what is going to help me do it? I think that some people were posting on Instagram, you know, we were so isolated first, you know, we had to stay home. I was still going to work, but otherwise we were very isolated and staying at home. I felt like people were posting on Instagram and people started posting more poetry. I don't know if that was just a thing that happened or it percolated in the world. And then I had a couple collections at home and then our library shut down for... <laughs> I don't know, four months or something. I think completely our library shut down. We had to keep the books we had. We couldn't take them back because we were kind of the epicenter. I live in Western Washington now. So we were the epicenter of the pandemic of where it started. The original cases were in Seattle in the United States. Our library completely shut down. We didn't have access to any of it until, I don't know, maybe the summer of 2020 where they started doing remote pickup again, where you could do online things. And that was a big deal for me because I went to the library probably every day, if not every day, every other day. So my local bookstore, which I love, uh, King's books. I'm going to give it a little plug. In Tacoma, you could do pickup. So they would order books for you and then you could pick them up outside. And so that saved me. So I did a lot of that. And they have a wonderful poetry section, curate a great poetry collection. So, and one of the other things I found was that Button Poetry, which I think is a little independent press out of the Midwest, maybe Minnesota or the Twin Cities, they have curate a great selection of poetry. And so I ordered many books from there also, if I couldn't get them through my local bookstore. I felt like we talked about before, those bite-sized pieces that I could read that helped me keep faith in humanity, that we would make it through this, the universal emotions. And they just were soothing in some ways. And that 
they were short so that my, my brain with my limited attention span could digest them. I probably in the last year have read more complete poetry collections than I have in the rest of my life combined. Well, it sounds like once you started, you couldn't stop or perhaps just didn't want to. It almost felt like a compulsion. And I think poetry collections were not, I loved individual poems. I would collect, you know, individual poems from people, but I hadn't read a lot of collections, you know, front to back. Mm -hmm. really ever. And I don't know if it was just because we were home so much and having the pandemic, it just was like the perfect storm or the perfect meetup of criteria that just made it, that made it work. Okay. So now I really want to hear about these favorites, but Corinne, how did you choose these three specific collections? These three collections, I think were ones that if I didn't love every single poem, I really loved the collection as a whole. Many of the poems in the collection just spoke to me or like made sense and felt right uh, when I read them, that just that I could identify, identify with them, identify with the feelings and the emotions and the, the story and the language that they were using. So, Well, I can't wait to hear. Tell me about the first one. Okay. The first collection is one I found from the Button Poetry, the one from the Midwest, and it's called The Willies by Adam Faulkner. It's so much about growing up, identity, loss, friendship. He lost a close friend um, when he was young. It's about his relationship with his family and with his father. His father is an alcoholic. I think one of the things too I love about poetry is that even though it's not memoir, it almost feels autobiographical in a sense, even if it's not, even if not all the details are true. I feel like you can learn something about the people just by the way that they write, write the poetry or the things that they're writing about. And his collection is so good. He talks about, you know, about pop culture and cultural appropriation, and it's so insightful and very witty. He's so self-aware with how he writes, but his writing is very spare and simple with simple structure, which I say with the highest compliments, not something. (laughs) There's one poem where he's talking about, it seems like it's after his dad maybe moved out or they had his dad move out, you know, dealing with his alcoholism, whatever. And he's talking about changing the locks and he slept in his parents' bed with his mom that night, the way his body feels in that space where his dad used to sleep and how his body is filling up with ghosts. And it just, those little lines that just hit you. So even though I haven't gone through something like that, I can... I can imagine what that would feel like or just feel that empathy. That's one of the things about poetry is that makes you feel things. I'm good at bottling things up. And so I think, especially with the pandemic, being able to feel those emotions, Mm -hmm. even if they're not my emotions, if the catalyst isn't me feeling them, but if I can read poetry to make me feel them, to process them so I'm not holding onto them or causing myself more grief. That's so interesting what you said about poetry so often being autobiographical. I hadn't thought to put that into words myself, but I can totally, now that you've said it, I can totally see how that is often so true. And it feels like that's a really meaningful part of the experience for you, for someone to, I mean, I'm picturing them holding out like a little packet of story and emotion to you from an experience you haven't had that you can that you can read and experience and digest in a way that I imagine feels right to you for this point in time. I want to say safe, but that's not quite the right word. They're pulling from their life experiences. That feels authentic to me, like the authentic human experience. Yeah. What does the title come from? He is gay. The poem when they were talking about the willies, about a person who is being derogatory towards people who are gay, rooted in the willy boy or the sissy. So the willies. So that I think being gay, you know, just that identity, grappling with his identity and those kind of things. So yes, that's that's what it's from. You're talking about emotion and I'm just thinking about the way a good poet can like change the way you're feeling about the story they're telling, like line by line. It's amazing. I know how people are so exact with their words. 
I remember having a conversation with a writing friend once about how poets have to be so incredibly precise with their language, whether you are a reader or a writer looking to see how words create experiences and how, how powerful words can be. Reading poetry really will help you appreciate everything you read on another level. Just on a sentence level, I can't imagine how long it takes them to find those specific words that turn the phrase just to make you feel that thing, like right at the right time. Tracy Thomas did a great episode on her podcast about The Tradition by Jericho Brown, which won the Pulitzer. I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2020. It won the Pulitzer Prize, which a friend of mine gave me for my birthday last year. Anyway, she talks about how I don't always understand it. I can appreciate it and I can really enjoy it. Even if I don't, oh, his poetry is so smart. You you don't always understand what it's ta- what he's talking about. But they were saying the point was, I can't remember who was on the po- podcast with her, but he is, a I think, a professor and was talking about, you don't have to understand it to enjoy it. And he might mm. not understand it or what I get out of it and what I understand he's talking about may not be what his intention was, but that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy it or appreciate it. I'm thinking of the quote, a, a good book is one that never finishes saying all it has to say. And that can be true about poetry too. If you read it and you're like, I, I, don't, so true. I don't understand what's happening here. I don't understand that's okay. what's happening, but I can't stop thinking about it. Ooh, that's a good way to put it. As in, Now tell me about another favorite collection. Okay, my, so my second favorite, and it was very hard to choose all of these, but I did it. Okay, Prelude to Bruise by Saeed Jones. My local bookstore, King's Books, had Saeed's memoir, how we fight for our lives. I think I know that you and Will have both read it or talked about it at some point. Yes, he chose that as a favorite the last time he was on the podcast. So I read it, I think before Will had talked about it, but when he talked about it, I was like, yes, that book blew me away. And so once I read that and knew he was a poet, I went back and found, so this is his first, uh, I think it's his first poetry collection. And he has another one coming out at the beginning of next year. Anyway, so this is his first poetry collection, which is amazing. I love, as just as an aside, I love a memoir by a poet. So I probably have read more poet memoirs than maybe poetry collections, just because we were talking about before the way that they use language and how there's no extra words there. They're very precise about their language, which I really appreciate. So Saeed, he's a black man. He's also a gay um, poet, and he grew up in the South. And so a lot of his poetry is about growing up, identity, figuring out that queerness, especially in the South with religion and that um, juxtaposition, and then talking about his family. You know, in his memoir, his mom passed away, but she was his person. And so grief and just the coming of age. His imagery is so stunning and his writing is so sharp. It's like visceral. I feel like it it just like rips you open. But then it feels to me that he has so much hope left, um, which is something that I really appreciate. So like even if a book is dark or gritty, if you feel like there's some redemption or hope, I feel like it needs to have that at the end. One of my favorite poems, he talks about going to Nashville to like a country Western bar where it seems like he may be the only black person in the country Western bar. And so people are wearing Wranglers. And so he's dancing, but like they're doing like line dancing. And so he was talking about how this, he's like, I always felt like I was a good dancer, but then all these people are like country Western dancing and just how that picture is so vivid in my mind about what that, what that would look like or what that experience would be. Um, and then there's another one where he's talking about lying in bed. I think he's hearing people dancing or like with a record, like up above and maybe in an apartment or something. And then talking about the way the needle on the record is piercing him, maybe feeling lonely or thinking about someone being in partnership and then being alone, laying in his bed, visceral and gets you right in the guts. 
Corinne, I love the way you describe how that's meaningful to you and just the, the way he can use words. I did not know about that new collection. I'm excited to hear that. Corinne, you mentioned choosing favorites was hard. Yes. But what did you choose for your third favorite? My third favorite is Love Poems by Nikki Giovanni. Nikki Giovanni is, uh, I think, a current professor at Virginia Tech, and she is a national treasure. She's amazing. So she's written so much poetry. I think she may be in her 70s. I think the thing I love about about this is that they're love poems, but it's a little tongue-in-cheek. They're not like traditional love poems. <laughs> she has struggled with cancer for maybe close to a decade. I think she may be in remission now, but so she has one as a love poem to cancer. <laughs> and then in parentheses, it says, this is not a love poem. The love poems and love poems in this collection is very broad. And she has another one, another one I think, called MasterCard, where it's basically like you have to fill up your bank and like pay off your credits. <laughs> talking about love. She's just so smart. She plays with form a lot in her poetry, which I appreciate. It's very different. But also at the same time, I always tell people if you want to start with poetry, she is a great place to start because her language and her poetry is so accessible. It's very simple. And I say that, I mean, as a compliment, but she knows exactly what she's doing um, when she says it. And it just, all the mundane things. I think there's a poem that I love. I can't remember if it's in this one or if it's in another one of hers called Good Cry, where it's, it's about fresh baked bread and buttering it and eating it. That's what the poem is about. It's so amazing. Like you can taste it (laughs) when she's talking about it. I just love her poetry where she takes those everyday things in life and makes them magic. I mean, she's so smart, but also I feel like the door in is like wide open. Like I know with a lot of people, they think like, oh, poetry is so opaque and I just don't get it. I just don't know where to start. But her poetry has a lot of, it has a lot of movement, you know, like the lines are short and they just like carry you along. And there's a lot of energy to her poetry. And some of it just makes you smile. Like um, most time when you're around, I feel like a note Roberta Flack is going to sing. Like it's just fun, not always fun. Like when you were describing love poems and what that means. I was thinking of the local to where I am. Louisville is for lovers album that got put out every year for years. I'm not sure if it's happening right now, but uh, oh, just like sad and depressing tales of heartache and woe, Um, which is not what you expect, which is why it's kind of tongue in cheek. That's what I was thinking of as you were describing Nikki Giovanni's love poems. Well, I'm glad you chose that one. Karin, you know what comes next. How did you choose the book to share that wasn't right for you? This one was so hard. I don't often hate books. I mean, very rarely. I often have strong feelings about them, but I I would very say rarely hate. And I feel like the last few years, you have done a good job. Me being the completionist that I am, I have gotten better about letting go of things that aren't working for me. And I think this one just wasn't, maybe not the right book at the right time. We can talk about it. It's called Homie by Dennis Smith. And they are another Black queer poet. I have read other things by them that I enjoyed. And I don't know that I've read other complete collections, but I have read individual poems that I enjoyed. And I feel like this collection is not written for me. You know, as a white cishet presenting woman, this collection is not written for me. But I also think a lot of the poems that I read or poetry collections that I read are not written for me as the intended audience. It doesn't mean I can't connect with them. And I feel like this one, it just didn't land for me. Most of the time I'll read a collection straight through because I appreciate how the poets, they chose the selection and the timing or the order of the poems for a reason, the way that the poetry collections flow. So I'll usually read them straight through. Sometimes if I can't get into it, I'll skip around a little just to see if I can find an in or a way to connect Mm -hmm. more. And I did that a little bit with this one. I often love queer stories because one of my favorite things in fiction or reading in general is found family. And I feel like a lot of times queer stories inherently with how those groups are marginalized 
that they end up having fan family. So yeah, this collection on the surface should work for me. I feel like it's a queer poet and they talk a lot about loss of friendship and friends and love and identity and things that I have enjoyed in other other collections. And also they uh, play a lot with style, which I appreciate. I love a book or a po- poetry that has an unusual style or rhythm. It just felt like it was just a little disjointed and jarring and I couldn't connect. But, and that may be their intention was for it to be that way. And it just didn't, it just didn't work for me. You, you talk about all the time that you, just because it wasn't right for me doesn't mean it won't be right for someone else. That was going to be my next question if this was a not for you or not for you right now. I think it may just not be for me and that's okay, but I probably will maybe try to revisit it at another point or just try another collection. Cause I have liked other poetry they have written, you know, where I have written individual poems that I really connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I've read another complete collection. I haven't read a complete collection, but I do know as far as like craft is concerned, I love the way I mean, I'm a structure nerd. Yes. Long time, what should I read next? Listeners know this. Like, I love to see how an author chooses to lay out a story. And when you take that into poetry, I just love to see the way poets choose to lay out the word in the pages. And I wouldn't even have thought how much the layout could change my experience and my reading and how I hear it in my head until I look at something like a poem by Denez Smith and go, oh, like if it comes to just the various indentations or the spaces between some lines, but not others, or even the places where it looks like they hit the space bar nine times. Yes. Because that's how you are supposed to hear it in your head. And it changes the way you hear it. And then they do these really interesting poems sometimes where the words will be like in a box or in a circle. And it's just... Or sideways or diagonally across the page. The structure nerd in me eats it up. So this specific collection was not a collection that you found, was really giving you that keep going energy for pandemic times. Yes. But in the future, it sounds like you'll be um, looking for more. I think so. Corinne, what have you been reading lately? I recently read and loved Good Talk by Mira Jacobs. So I am not a graphic memoir person. That's not true. I guess I liked comics okay when I was a kid, but I would just read them in the paper. Not I never felt like I would read a book or a graphic. Those I wasn't drawn to those for whatever reason. I've always loved the words more than that. And I feel like listening to Brenna or some of those things just like gave me the nudge. So anyway, I loved a good talk by Mira Jacob. Her kiddo maybe is a little bit older than mine, but when she was writing the book, she was having similar conversations that we've been having um, with our kid. And he would have been about the same age. Her kiddo would have been about the same age as mine when she was writing the book as my kiddo is now. And so it was like almost having a script. <laughs> Even though like a lot of the book is she's talking about, like I don't have the answers or like I'm fumbling my way through this. It just felt so fresh and reaffirming that it's okay if I don't always have the answers or have the right thing to tell him at the right time about all of the things that are happening in the world and balancing having him be informed and being a good citizen and a good human while also still protecting him in some ways from how awful the world can be or how awful people can treat each other. Also, a local author, Marissa Harrison, she wrote, I think it's her debut novel called Rain City Lights, which takes place in Seattle. I think it's in the 80s and 90s, uh, a serial killer in Seattle, which is not my usual MO. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't seem to be. I love mysteries and I love and I feel like I used to love grittier books when I was younger, like I loved Christopher Pike and like I read some Stephen King and like things like that. And I feel like as I have gotten older, I have less tolerance for that. I think in my reading life, I feel like I want more soothing, good feelings than reading the gritty or I get the gritty in my real life rather than the books. Anyway, she, um, Rain City Lights, but it's about really, it's a YA book about 
two kids growing up that kind of found family and working out their issues and having a hard life and then going apart and coming back together. And then in the backdrop of that is a serial killer that's kind of preying on people in the eighties and nineties. So it was really, it was gritty and also had a little bit of like a YA romance, but real heavy topics, but some lightness and had some hope at the end. So I really enjoyed that. That was a, that was a great book. And then also Poetry Pharmacy is one that I've been reading on and off. And the editor is William, I think it's Sieghart. And this is a British collection. There's two of them, Poetry Pharmacy and Poetry Pharmacy Returns. And I think they just did a US version. He goes through like different emotions or different feelings. So one of the first ones is anxiety. On the facing page, he talks about anxiety and how that would manifest in our life and how poetry can help deal with that. And then on the facing page, there's a poem that goes along with that. So like the anxiety one, I think is the piece of wild things by Wendell Berry. That's interesting. It reminds me of the novel cure. Yes. Yeah. Similar. Anyway, so that has been really great. I think my nerd brain and my science brain with my job appreciate that approach in some ways. So it's kind of fun. You can just like flip through and be like, what am I feeling right now? And what should I read? And also being a mood reader to do that. So I have really, really appreciated that one. I feel like the last um, couple of years, I have a couple of friends that I, two of my close friends who have gone through a lot in the last couple of years, losing parents and major health things. And we have all traded poetry and given each other poetry books. And so that's been a fun, a fun connection also. Oh, that is so fun. You could do that. Yeah. I imagine that you have a lot to bring to the table there, Corinne. Okay. Let's take a step back and see what we've got. Okay. The books you loved are The Willies by Adam Faulkner. Prelude to Bruce by Saeed Jones, and Love Poems by Nikki Giovanni. Not For You was Homie by Dinesh Smith. Currently, you've been reading Good Talk by Mira Jacob, Rain City Lights by Marissa Harrison, and the Poetry Pharmacy Collection. Now, Corinne, what are you on the hunt for in your reading life right now? I don't know. I feel like I'm such a mood reader. Sometimes that's hard to get into. My uh, local library did a fun thing this year, which I did mostly because we've been in the pandemic and it was just a new thing to do. So they did like a reading challenge where they give you, the librarians did such a great job curating a list. So I think it was 55 different categories and they had probably 25 or 30 selections in each category. And then you had to read 50 of the 55 books for the collection and they have a prize at the end or something. And so that was really fun for me to fit my mood reading into that. I think maybe I will appreciate having suggestions or some direction on where to go. My TBR list is so long. I think at the beginning of last year, it was 1,500 books or something. Oh my gosh. Oh, it was awful. What That was one of your challenges was edit your digital TBR. So I did. I made it down to 700. So I've been trying to keep it around 700, which is pretty good. Yeah. I feel like I keep a lot of kid selections because I give my uh, nibblings books for their birthdays and Christmas. So I have a fair amount of that as selections or ideas for them. And then I break it down into poetry and memoir and nonfiction and fiction. And I do like that you said that one time about keeping or trying to make a list based on moods. I might try to do that to be easier. Sometimes I just scroll through and be like, I don't know. I'm not sure where I want to go at this point. Mm -hmm. It's like Netflix. You can't find what you want. You just end up scrolling forever. (laughs) (laughs) I felt a little lost this year. So yeah, some direction, Anne, would be great. All right. Here is the mission I am taking on for myself. Okay. We are going to look for books that seem like based on your interests that you've shared here in our conversation today, 
we're not going to go hunting for more input. We don't need it. Seem like they would be right up your alley. And something I'm definitely keeping in mind is the reason why you chose these as favorites. You chose these poetry collections representing poetry as the genre that really helped you keep going these past almost two years now. And so I'm looking for books that I feel like could help you continue to do the same. How does that sound? That sounds great. Thank you. Also, I've been taking notes here and I'm really interested in the things you've said about the outdoors and the natural world being a solace and that poetry has become almost a compulsion and how you also, you mentioned like a specific thing, like you love a memoir by a poet and you're okay with dark and gritty, but you want notes of redemption. So those are definitely things that I'm bringing in as factors here. These seem so perfect for you. I think it's entirely possible that you've already read them all and we're just going to find out. You ready? Yep. The first book I'm thinking of for you is by poet June Jordan. This is her memoir, Soldier, A Poet's Childhood. Do you know it? I haven't heard of this. Okay, what to tell you about June Jordan? She's a very influential poet. Um, she, she died about 20 years ago, I think in 2002, which is a great loss. But she left behind a large library. And how do I, I think I want to introduce you to her by saying words that Toni Morrison said about her, that her career spanned 40 years of tireless activism coupled with and fueled by flawless art. June Jordan was born in the 30s in Harlem. And in this memoir, she lays out her childhood in composite. Like she, she has these short, like almost snappy sometimes little vignettes and the way she juxtaposes them against each other is so interesting. Like she'll be talking about the tensions in her parents' marriage, hard stuff, heavy stuff, especially you feel the anxiety uh, of her as a small child, like not quite understanding, but beginning to understand what's happening there. But then there will be one in between about how much she loved orange juice, how it has a wonderful color and the little pieces of orange pulp that float around in the liquid. And it's like an aquarium to watch them bob around, but she could taste it. The way she portions out her stories and places them in the narrative, I think you'll find really interesting. It's structurally interesting. Like we were talking about Denez Smith's work, the the way um, June Jordan uses line breaks and white space, the work to influence the way that you hear the story. I've heard a lot of what you've said about the poets you're reading today. I've heard you talk a lot about their identities. And that is something that Jordan explores as well. She was a black and bisexual poet, also a teacher and political activist. And she saw all those things as being important to her work and to her poetry. And she talks about the importance of telling the truth. And that's how that's how one becomes beautiful. And that's how one begins to love oneself. And that's how that's the only way you can value yourself. And she calls that political in the most profound way. Just the themes I've heard you highlight in the works uh, that you've chosen as favorites today, I see repeated here. She says that her poems are things that she does in the dark, reaching for you, whoever you are. Are you ready? I think this could be fun for you. Not that it's all lighthearted, but I think the thrill of like holding a book that feels like, ah, yes, I am in the right place. I think you could have it here. That sounds wonderful. It sounds perfect. It makes me think my kiddo says when he learns something new or he gets excited about something that he says his brain, his brain fizzes. So. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, I have to tell you, Brenna, our producer calls June Jordan, one of her personal heroes. Oh, I love it. That seems like essential information. That's a a wonderful recommendation. Thank you so much. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear it. Oh, wait, hold on. Before we move on from June Jordan, you can hear her reading her work on YouTube. If you like the sound of hearing her read her work in her own voice, don't miss that. Okay, so now I want to move on to a contemporary poet. 
the thing that got me first thinking about Maggie Smith for you is that you talked about how poetry has helped you keep going. And I was thinking about her book, Keep Moving, that came out in the midst of a pandemic where she writes about undergoing massive life change and then needing to share because it is what she does. You know, all poetry feels in so many ways autobiographical, the things, the perspectives, the like tricks of, of thinking that are helping her keep moving. Have you read anything by Maggie Smith? It sounds familiar. And I have not heard of this one. Her most well-known poem is probably Good Bones that went viral on the internet (laughs) the way poetry weirdly occasionally does. Maybe that's why I recognize it, recognize her name. Yes. Maybe. And when we were talking about poems where you move to the next line and all of a sudden everything clicks into place and the whole meaning changes, like it's this intricate little puzzle box. Good Bones is one I think of. What does she say? The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate. Though I keep this from my children. It's short, compact. You can read it in 60 seconds. It would be worth a lot longer of your time. If you want a way in, I think Keep Moving would be wonderful. Also, she had a new collection come out this summer called Goldenrod. She talks about her children in her poetry, as does June Jordan, which I was thinking of that when you were talking of Mira Jacob. Like one of her poems is called In the Grand Scheme of Things. And she says, we, we say in the grand scheme of things as if there were one. We say that's not how the world works as if the world works. Something she does a lot in this collection is she'll like pull a quote from literature or another source. It'll be like right under the title and then she'll riff on it. And also, I just really noticed the way she does things like use ampersands and where she puts her line breaks. I hope you'll find it to have that energy, that reassurance you're looking for from poetry right now. How does that sound? That sounds great. I think one thing I have discovered being a parent, you look at things in the world that you would just take for granted or take at face value that this is just the way they are. And then your kiddo starts asking you questions about why is it like that? What does it do? And you're like, oh, that sounds good. Like I like the the parenting that she uses her kids in that to think about how the world works. So thank you. Finally, I'm thinking of another graphic memoir for you. Well, I was thinking, what would someone who appreciates poetry like? And the thing I like about this graphic memoir and so many is that there's more to take in than just the word. Of course, the words are important, but they don't carry the whole story. Like in poetry, the lift is distributed among many different factors, like the layout, the rhythm, the cadence, the meter, like it all matters. And in a graphic memoir, the words are the story, but the words are a part of the story. And the one I'm thinking of is by T-Boy. It's called The Best We Could Do. No, Anne, you're so good. This has been out for about... Five years, not brand new, won quite a few awards for listeners who value that kind of thing. This is a really beautiful, a very cinematic memoir. I know that everyone knows Brenna is a huge graphic memoir and graphic novel reader. I am not. I just read maybe a half dozen a year, but I really enjoyed this myself. This is T-Boy's debut. When she started drawing these cartoons, she, she was an artist. She'd never done this before, but she had a story she wanted to tell about her family's immigration from Vietnam to the United States. Originally, her inspiration was taken from graphic memoirs like Mouse and Persepolis, which are very serious, weighty, political graphic memoirs. And she thought, I want to tell a story like that. But as she went on, she realized as much as the story was about the politics of her her family's home country, it was also about her family. It's such a poignant combination of one family story set against the backdrop of the war and upheaval that characterized um, the Vietnam War. So you see that in the text, but you also see just close-ups of like how that affected her family and why things were hard. 
This is the kind of graphic memoir that I had to take down quotes of the words from my reading journal. As she explores her family history, she says things like, oh, it's being both a parent and a child without acting like a child that eludes me when I have these conversations with my parents about these weighty topics. But early in the book, she says, I, I realized that I just, I feel like I need to understand my, my parents' history, my family history, in order to feel like I know who I am and in order to feel like comfortable in the world, like I have to know these things. And so she says, I keep looking toward the past, tracing our journey in reverse, seeking an origin story that will set everything right. And that's what she's doing in this book. She's going back in time, like tracing her family's origin story and then showing how it's affecting how she's living in the present. It's beautifully done. The illustrations are really cinematic. I think it could be really good for you. And I think it could be a great read for poetry lovers. Viet Tan Wen said that this is the kind of book that will break your heart and then heal it. So even though the topics are dark and gritty at times, I mean, obviously there's difficult content here. There's also a lot of hope on these pages, which makes me feel hopeful. Pretty confident actually that you're going to like it, Corinne. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. I love that quote that you said that will break your heart and put it back together. I feel like that's one of my favorite kind of books. So thank you so much. And fun to me now that I just have started dipping into graphic memoirs to have some more options for that. So, and I didn't say at the beginning, I love backlist books because then I don't have to wait at the library and or the bookstore. Okay, Corinne, of the books we talked about today, we talked about a lot of books today. We did, I know. We discussed Soldier, A Poet's Childhood by June Jordan. Goldenrod, and also Keep Moving by Maggie Smith. And then the graphic memoir, The Best We Could Do by T-Boy. Of those books, what do you think you may read next? It's a very difficult choice. Uh, I will read them all. I think I'm going to go with the Maggie Smith because I feel like I need some a poetry collection right now to fill in a little bit of a void. So uh, I think I'm going to go there. I think that sounds wonderful. And I can't wait to hear what you think. Thank you so much for talking books with me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Corinne and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at what should I read next podcast.com slash 306 and it's where you will find the full list of titles we talked about today. Join in our celebration of all things books and reading on our Instagram page at what should I read next. We share fun snippets from our episodes, information on upcoming events and peeks behind the scenes of making this podcast each week we'd love to have you join in on the social fun. Plus, be sure to follow me on Instagram at Ann Bogle, that is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. I'll be sharing some short videos soon with tips and tricks for how I use my new reading journal called My Reading Life, available wherever new books are sold. And if you're not getting our newsletter yet, be sure to sign up at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, we love hearing from you. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to tell us what you love about the show. Not only does it bring us delight, it's also the best way to help other readers discover us. Please make sure you're subscribed in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and more. Tune in next week for more readerly recommendations and talk about all things reading. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.